All right. A part of the encouragement that we have when we come together is the fact that we get to shout about a God that we believe works miracles, who is all-powerful. I'm going to give you the chance to do that one more time because i got to believe there's some stuff that happened even this week that he deserves a shout of praise. Can we do that? Can we do that? Let's praise him. Come on. I want to welcome you today. Grateful that you would choose to be here, welcoming everybody that's joining us online on this holiday weekend, people literally all over the place, but grateful that we can still connect um, wherever you may be. Um, I, I, want, I hope you have a great weekend. It's carrying into tomorrow for a lot of people. Um, enjoy the time together with your families, but I also encourage you to be safe. Be safe. Have fun blowing stuff up. Just don't blow up stuff you're going to need later, all right? Like hands and stuff. So just be, be safe, but have fun. Have you ever been to Mobile, Alabama? You ever been to Mobile? A few weeks ago, when we were joining our students headed down south, I typed in the address and Siri said, starting route to Mobile, Alabama. When we got to the destination, she said, arrived at the University of Mobile. And all week long, as we're traveling around town, she would, she would say things like, stay in the left lane onto I-10 East toward Mobile. All week long, she pronounced it Mobile. To the point that by the end of the week, Jen and I, my wife and I, started saying mobile. It's not mobile, it's mobile. But what we were consistently hearing led us to act in a way that was not accurate. And today, I want to start to talk to you about the fact that I'm afraid a little bit of that has happened in the American church culture. That what we are accustomed to hearing when it comes to church, what we are accustomed to, to seeing in many cases regarding church, the question is, is it actually the same picture that the Bible gives of the church? Or is it the case that what we are hearing consistently and seeing consistently has led many to start to act in a way that is not accurate? And so the question is, well, how do we know, even know what's accurate? Where do we get an accurate picture of the church? And the answer is Acts. The book of Acts, which is where we have come together. We are making a journey through the entire book as Luke gives us this story. This is where we're going to be from now through the end of the year. And so in Acts 1, Jesus gave us the mission. He gave us the statement, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So come on, he gives us the important who. This is about the Holy Spirit. This is about the acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what this story is about. What is the result of that? Power. God's power in our lives, him living in us. What's the why? We're always asking that question around here. What's, what's our why? The Holy Spirit giving us power that we might be witnesses. Right, We testify about what we've seen and, and heard regarding Jesus, and then he gives us the where. It's Jerusalem, it's, it's at home, and then it's Samaria, Judea, ends of the earth. And so Acts chapter 2 begins to describe that mission. 3,000 people believe, and they receive And they begin to live the mission. They are devoted. They are joyful. They are generous because God's spirit has clothed them with power. And and he starts to drive out their fear, which which you realize when when he drives out that fear, it it gets rid of the whole need for us to, to, to act like we have it all together. No, instead we know we are completely loved and we are completely forgiven. It explains why these guys, who up until now have not been known for having spines of steel, now they're bold. And their message is basically, look, we care about you to the point that we don't care what you think about us. (laughs) We're coming to you in love regardless of what you think about that. Boldly making much of Jesus in Acts, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit's power on a person's life is boldness. Today, we're stepping into Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3, we're going to zero in on a talk, a sermon, if you will, that the Apostle Peter gives. And, And I waited till this week to do it because... The sermon, the talk that he gives in chapter 3 is remarkably similar to the talk that he gives in chapter 2. It's because our message, what we give, it's, it's consistent, all right? And we begin to get a picture of what it looks like to be empowered as witnesses. Because some of y'all have been coming to church your whole life and you've heard Holy Spirit empowers, calls us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, but what does that really look like? Acts chapter three starts to show us what it looks like. Peter and John, we're told, are headed to the temple. And as they take the exit off the interstate, there at the stoplight, there is a, a crippled beggar who asked them for money. Peter says, oh man, we didn't bring any cash. But in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. (laughs) And the beggar is healed. He gets up, he leaps into the temple praising God and a crowd gathers. And when a crowd gathers, that means it's a chance to what? It's a chance to witness. This is what we've been empowered for. When there are people, there is an audience that can hear this this greatest message. And so Peter begins to give the talk. And again, it's very similar to, to the same to the talk that he gives in chapter two. But even before we get to the content of what Peter says, we already begin to see how this mission of God works. 
God meets us where we are. That's where we start. God moving the mission forward always starts with him meeting people where they are. In chapter 3, we, we've got a man who is lame. We've got a man who is crippled. He, is, he, he has been this way for years. Imagine the struggle of being crippled in that day without the technology of our day to even help with such a struggle. But what happens in the middle of this man's struggle is God shows up. Now back in chapter 2, the context is what I, I would call a party. It's a, it's, a, it's a feast. It's a celebration. They are, they are in Acts chapter 2 all gathered to celebrate the, the harvest that is to come. And what happens? It's like God shows up right in the middle of Mardi Gras. You say, oh, Mardi Gras, man, it's lost its spiritual significance, right? People don't even know what that's about anymore. I'm going to say, I, I bet you sometimes the same thing happened with Pentecost. Because when you start getting people together to celebrate, we're pretty good about all of a sudden making the celebration about ourselves. I, I'm wondering, is that not the reason that in Acts chapter 2, they accuse the apostles of being drunk at 9 in the morning? But in the middle of this party... God shows up. And today I'm reminding you that is always how this mission moves forward. It starts with a God who shows up. Sometimes he shows up at the party and sometimes he shows up in the pain. But he shows up. Where were you when God showed up? Do you remember where you were when God gave you a realization that he has shown up for you? Uh, some people, maybe it was a church building, right? But I would almost bet that in many cases you didn't go there that day expecting God to do what he did. For others, maybe it was a party. I've known God, sometimes he'll show up Right in your bed. I've known people, even dreams. He'll show up at ball games and bars. He'll show up at offices and classrooms. Maybe it was a joyful season of your life. Maybe it was a season of hurt. Maybe it was a time of depression. Maybe it was a time of loss. For some, maybe it's today. That God shows up. But I guess more importantly than really physically where were you, it's to ask the question, but like spiritually, where were you when God shows up? That's the real issue. There's something very important that you need to know about God. It is not God's expectation that you clean up your life before you come to him. Can I tell you that? It is not God's expectation that you clean up your life before you meet him. 
that would mean that it's on you to change you. That it's on you to change and then, and then there is a God who is willing to meet you there. That is a lie. That is not how he works. And, and maybe it's the enemy's work. We're going to see the enemy's work as we continue through Acts. We're going to learn some of that. But, but I have found that, that even sometimes people who call themselves Christians will sometimes place those kinds of expectations on people. It goes like this. You need to get your act together and come to God. And we are reminded in these stories that that is wrong. It is God who meets you where you are. It is God who meets you where you are. And I want us to begin to realize that that truth, as much as any truth that I know, will define what a church looks like. Because if that's true, If you believe that truth, God, he meets people where they are, then you know what? We don't get to just play church. We don't. We we can't just settle into our our safe place. We, We cannot be isolated from the big bad world because if God meets people where they are and if you are following him and he has empowered you to be the witness of his good news, then that means that you and I are supposed to encounter people right where they are. That means messy people in messy circumstances. Jesus said we're fishers of men, right? Remember that? We're fishers of people. I want to remind you that at Heart of Life, we don't clean them before we catch them. Jesus leads people to Jesus. We come alongside and love people and walk them toward him. And some of us, if we're going to actually follow Jesus, if we're, if we're actually going to read Acts and then go, God, will you start to do that in me? Some of us are going to have to stop spending our whole life avoiding the people that Jesus spent his life engaging. Look at this in verse 3, Acts chapter 3. When he, that's the, that's the crippled beggar, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Check out this phrase. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Now, is that normally what happens, right? When you pull up to the stoplight after you've exited the interstate and there is the dude who wants some money, do you tip, what do you do? You look straight ahead. Don't look at him. You look at the people in the car, have a conversation, don't look at him. That's remarkable to Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Y'all, that's what the church is supposed to look like. People not avoiding, but intentional attention that we see the brokenness, we see the despair, 
and we are willing to look straight at it. And even to say, hey, Peter's doing this. Can't you see Peter doing this? Hey, look at me, look at me. He said, come on, look, look at me. I, I, you see it, and, and I want you to, to, to see us. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is where our mission begins. God meeting people where they are, and he does that through you. So here's what I'm asking. Do you see what I'm saying then? That is not what much of the church in America looks like. It's not. And so in many cases, the, the church is not an accurate picture to, to, to what the world hears when they, when they hear that word. Typically, the, the, the church, the greatest concerns can be about self. What do I like? Does it serve me and my family? In other words, give me a place that has it all together so that we can be as comfortable as we can possibly be. And I'm just telling you, man, we are going to be challenged with this all the way through Acts. It is going to be in our face. And my prayer is that the more we hear God pronounce accurately, church, the more God gives us the picture accurately of church, that it won't just be in our face, but that it'll be in our heart. Man, some of you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There, there are some of you, this is your heart. You so desire for the church to really be the church and, and you are people who are willing to step into messy situations. I am grateful to be a part of a church where those people are real, they exist, they, they're the real deal. People who are filled with God's spirit, empowered by him. My prayer is that God would just blow that up all across this body. It's time to see what Peter says when God shows up. And I want you to know that it's really good news because the message here is not only God meets us where we are, but God tells us the truth about ourselves. <laughs> now, I realize you, you hear that and you go, I don't know if that's good news. God telling me the truth about myself, I don't know if that good, that's good news. I'm telling you it's good news, but let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's, let's go to Acts chapter 3. Let's pick it up with verse 13 and listen to Peter's talk, all right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You ready? You handed him over to be killed. That's what he says. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. That's pretty pointed. Oh, he's not done. Let's keep going. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Hmm. I'm telling you that is remarkably consistent with what Peter said in the first sermon that he preached in Acts chapter two. 
Let me show you a couple of verses from there. Verse 23, Acts chapter 2. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And again, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, let's, let's wrestle with this a little bit. We got thousands of people who are in Jerusalem. When these, when this, these messages are being given, we know that 3,000 of them put their trust in Jesus, receive right, the Holy Spirit in that first one, but we're not sure how many thousands were there. And the question is, like, were all of them actually, like, physically present at the crucifixion of Jesus? I mean, this is 50 days later. Like, can we absolutely say that every single one of them were in town, right, at the crucifixion of Jesus when, when that was taking place? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with saying I don't know that they all were there. Here's what I do know. I was not physically there. It was some 2,000 years ago. But Peter doesn't, that doesn't seem to bother him because when we read it, he's like, you, you. How can that be possible? How can we be responsible? I, I was reminded um, while studying for this text, um, some of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, right? It's a, it's a very graphic, very vivid picture of, of Jesus' suffering, of his crucifixion. Um, uh, Mel Gibson was the producer of that, that movie, and it is kind of an interesting fact that there's only one place that he appears in the movie. It's right here. It's his hand on the nail, on the spike. And when he was asked why he did that, his response was, because it was me. Now, I don't know whether Mel Gibson really believes that heart deep or not, but at least his theology is correct. It was me. But how could that be? Well, just real quick, I want to help you with that because some of you, you need the answer for yourself. For, for others of us, you need to be able to help somebody else in, in processing that kind of information. How could that be? I'm just going to give you two simple verses. Some of you know these verses. Just the problem is you never share them, all right? So I'm gonna just going to give you two verses back to back. They're super simple. Some of you already know them by heart, but it can help you answer that question. Romans chapter 3, a very big truth. Here's where it starts. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. That's the message. All guilty. Every single one of us. That ground is level for us. No, nobody less than we are, we are guilty before him. You say, well, what are we guilty of? Well, Ah, uh, we're guilty of loving God's stuff more than we love him, right? We love stuff. We, 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 he's the creator who gives us good things to point to the truth that he's the provider. But come on, most of us, I, I, we, 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 we are all about the stuff of God and less about him. We, we all have claimed to be smarter than God. Okay, maybe you never said it out loud, but we've all acted like it. We all act like we're smarter than God. You ever stop and think about that? God, you are the king of the universe. And, and my checking account is a bit overdrawn. 
because I'm not great at budgeting and my math is not so strong. But God, I'm smarter than you. God, I can make the decisions in my life. We all have been guilty of that. We, we all at times have failed to, to acknowledge God as the giver of all good gifts. We, we look at our accomplishments and we look at our abilities and we claim them. It's like, look at me. Look at me. It's God. It's God. I, I jokingly say from time to time, I, I like the game of basketball. And so it's sort of like any basketball player, seven feet tall, should not be allowed to celebrate when they dunk the ball. Would you agree? What did you do for that? Like, you didn't grow you, right? You didn't, you didn't design you. Make a free throw, then you can dance, right? That's kind of how I feel. Well, when you apply that to our lives, come on, we all kind of do the same thing. We, we look at our abilities, we look at what we have, and we go, look at us, look at us. And, and so all of that points to us seeing ourselves as God. I am the king of my life but I will fail. And I'm telling you, at some point you will too if that's your claim because I know there is so much stuff of life and there is definitely so much stuff of death that is bigger than you and me. And when we try to be the king, it just shrivels our soul. We have all sinned against God. But that's why you ought to really be excited about the verse that goes back to back here. Because in verse 24 it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Whew, that's good. That's good. We're, we're all completely guilty, but... God has made it possible that all could be justified. What does justified mean? It means we can be made right with God. How does that happen? Well, we gotta be really good. Be really good so we can get to God, right? No, he says it's grace. In other words, you didn't earn it. This is God's love that is showing up where we are in our sinfulness and through the work of Jesus at the cross and an empty tomb, he pays the price for our sin, he satisfied the anger of God against our rebellion. But come on, can't you see? Sometimes this offends people, right? We'll see more of that next week. If, you, if, you, if God meets us where we are and tells us the truth about ourselves, that we are sinners falling short, people get offended. But I'm saying... Those whose hearts are softened, praise God that that's what he says to us. I am so grateful that God did not look into my soul and declare, Jeff, you are so awesome. I'm glad he didn't do that. I cannot worship that God. If God had looked at my soul and said, Jeff, you are so awesome, I can't worship him because I already know he's wrong. I am selfish. I know that about me. I know where my head can go sometimes. I know where my heart can go sometimes. If God looks at me and tells me everything is beautiful, I can't trust him because I know 
I know. There is guilt and there is shame before anybody even told me some of the things that God said don't do. So if God says there's nothing wrong with you, what do you do with the guilt and the doubt and the fear and the lust and the anger? I'm telling you, our hope is found in God being honest with us about us. That God knows and he points it out is absolutely wonderful. That means he really is God and he is somebody I can trust. And I'm never freer than when I have no more secrets. No weight of trying to hide or pretend. No, he knows and he points it out. And may God save us from this weak veneer of a bunch of people calling themselves Jesus followers just going with, I'm I'm okay, I'm okay. Listen, the best... Uh, the less the church walks around pretending like we're all okay, the greater the opportunity we will have to connect with the people around us who are also not okay. Now, come on, I'm not saying we're not, we're, we are solid in him, we rest in him, our foundation is in him, it is secure, nobody can ever take it. But come on, we struggle. We struggle. Sometimes we fail. But when we mess up, we consistently, what? We turn back to him. And when we repent and we turn back to him, it is our opportunity. We are witnesses of the power of Jesus' sacrifice to forgive. We are witnesses to those who are caught in sin around us. When When I speak to somebody about sin, I can always start with my own. And that leads me to Jesus which is exactly who they need. God showing up and saying, you're busted. That offends some people. But for those whose hearts are softened, we know it's true and it is good news. You see, God meets people where they are. He tells us the truth about ourselves and the gospel covers what's true about us. The truth, I've failed. The truth, I've sinned against him, but the good news of Jesus covers that. Look at what Peter says here in Acts chapter three. I just want you to read some of this. I know you guys read it all week long. I'm sure you do, right? I'm sure all week long you're reading. That's our plan, by the way. If you're brand new, joining us uh, during the week, we read a chapter. We're in a few verses each day. And then when we come together, we celebrate what God's shown us. All right? So I want to encourage you to pick up on that, right? Join us in that. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Check it out. You killed the author of life, but God (laughs) raised him from the dead. Man, he's starting at at the height, right? This is good news. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. He's talking about the crippled man. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Right? What's happening now in the lives of these Jesus followers is the same pattern that we saw happen in Jesus' ministry. The miracles pointed to what? They pointed to the truth that he is who he says he is. 
The miracles pointed to what? They point to the truth that these words, they are trustworthy and true. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And Peter again unpacks good news. Jesus has come to die for your sin, but God has raised him from the dead. And this has been God's plan all along. Luke has told us this multiple times. When you read the prophets, there are so many pictures that were pointing toward this. He would suffer and he would rise. But the message that in Christ, his victory over death and hell becomes our victory. We are no longer doomed. We we are no longer separated from our creator. No, the gospel invades the truth about us that we might be free from our sin and therefore made right with God. So God meets us where we are. God tells us the truth about ourselves. The gospel covers what is true about us. And where the gospel is proclaimed, we must respond. This is the picture of what it is to be empowered by him to be witnesses encounters God's people in a world where, where there's brokenness and messiness, but this, this is how it works. I want you to hear this verse that Peter gives. It's verse 19. This is, for me, um, one of the highlights this week. Peter says, repent. I give you this news. Here's the news, right? God's shown up tells you the truth about your sin, but the good news that he's been about this plan for all, all, all eternity, right, that, that, that Jesus would come, suffer, die, rise, you got to respond. How do you respond? Repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Huh. This is good. What's repent? Repent, I told you last week, is to change. It's to turn. It's to turn around. It's it's a change of mind. Repent, he says, and turn to God. That's to turn to God is faith. That that is a picture of when when you hear somebody talk about the the conversion, right? What are they talking about? They're talking about repentance and faith. It is, it is to turn from myself, to turn from my sin. I'm changing my mind, all right, because I'm changing to, to see who God really is. I, I'm changing my mind to what God really expects. He's not expecting me to get my life together so that I can get good enough that he will love me. No, I'm, I'm changing that I see it's his grace. He, he comes to me in my brokenness, and he loves me. He says, You repent and you turn to God and sins are wiped out. Let's talk about that for a second. In the ancient world, um, writing 
was done with ink and, you know, some sort of papyrus or type of something we would call paper, but it's what you would write on. But what's unique about this word is it's understanding the ink. See, in, in our day, some of y'all don't know that ink still exists, but it does, right? Because we write like four words a year, right? If you, you write four words and you're like, man, my, my hand hurts because we don't write much anymore. But ink today um, has an acid to it. And it is that acid that actually makes the ink bite to the page and what maintains it. But in Luke's day, they would write with ink that did not have acid in it. And therefore, the way it worked is that that ink actually would sit on the surface of that paper, we'll call it, until it would dry. And so what was possible is that you could wet something like a a sponge, take a damp sponge, and if you run that sponge across the top of that piece of papyrus in that day, you know what it did? It wiped it clean. Oh, come on. Here's the imagery Peter's saying. Have you ever stopped to think about the list that exists of all the wrong in your life. <laughs> yeah, have, you ever, have you ever stopped to think about the list of all the, all the rebellious moves that you've made against God, all the things that you've done to hurt somebody else, all the selfish moves, right, that you have made? Some of us just went, I don't think it's a list, I think it's a book, right? I think there are multiple pages to, the, to mine. And here's what he says, Peter says, through the cross and the resurrection, through you turning repentance and faith in Jesus, God wipes the list clean. Now some of us have heard our whole life this imagery that it's like, man, I got this list of things that I have done against God and in, even I have done it at times where, where it's as though, though God canceled, that he put a big red X across the list of all that I had done wrong. Peter, Peter goes further than that and he goes, no, this is not a big red X where God has canceled out everything I've done wrong. God has wiped the list clean. Like, you can't even go back and see the list anymore. God, he's not referring back to the list, remembering what I have done wrong. How beautiful is that? There's not even a list because he wiped it clean. So the next line, you think there's refreshment now in the presence of God? I got no more secrets. I got nothing left to hide. He knows who I am and he loved me completely. He has embraced me as his kid. He has wiped that list clean and God will never hold those things against me. I was reminded this week, I tell people often, man, if you are recalling right, your sinfulness in a guiltful way, that ain't God. That's an enemy. 
Now, it's true that you can use the mistakes of your past to help other people. But for your past to be brought up to you in a guiltful way, that ain't God. He wiped the list clean. You can turn to him. But Peter also says, verse 23, but anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now he's quoting Moses. He's going back and getting Moses and saying, God has given you this message all along. He's like, you can turn to him. You can turn to him and put your faith in Jesus, but if you don't listen to him, you're completely cut off. This is what makes surface level American weekend church attendance terrifying for me. When people go to church but are completely unmoved. And when I say unmoved, I don't mean, okay, they sit in a service and something like emotionally. I'm not talking about that. Because sometimes people go and they, they sit and they hear something and somebody right, sings a song beautifully or some guy says something that, 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 that inspires them and so they, they feel something emotionally. My point is, though, people go to church and they walk away with no real desire to submit their life to Jesus Nothing, they do nothing with what they hear. They just hear it and they go. And I'm, 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 I'm telling you, those, those are steps of hardening your heart toward God. You don't want to play with your soul. God will not be mocked and he cannot be deceived. Today you have the opportunity to turn to him because God shows up where we are. And for some of you, he has shown up today in your brokenness. Today he has shown up in your sinfulness. And listen, you don't have to clean up to come to him. He gets to you and then he sets you free. He tells us the truth about who we really are. It allows us to say, finally, Here's somebody I can trust. God calls me in my addiction. He calls me in my depression. He calls it like it is in my anger or my anxiousness or my selfishness or my destroying of relationships. God calls me on that. But he offers me forgiveness. Not because I'm innocent, but because my crimes have been paid for. And that demands a response. My question today is who needs to run to the God who is running to you? Some of you need to turn today and believe from your heart to call out to him to say, Jesus, I believe and I want you. Man, in a little bit, I'm gonna invite you. We're we're gonna, uh, in a little bit, not yet, in a little bit, we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna wrap things up in, in the place and then, and then man, you could, there are gonna be some people over here in this room at, at, at the places wherever you may be today. There are some campus leaders, campus shepherds that you can go to. I, I wanna encourage you to do something with what you hear today and for some of you, you need to turn to him. For some of you, you need to take a step of baptism. Many of you know next week we're going to be doing big baptism celebration. Man, I, I take the step. You know it's what Jesus has called you to. First step in following him. Some of you need to, to take a step, talk to somebody, and let's do that. For, for, for some of you, it may be that it's time for you to humble yourself and ask God for some healing.
that needs to happen in your life. For some of you, it may be that you need to humble yourself and ask God for some boldness because right now there's no evidence of that boldness in you. This changes how we see what the church really is. We are not a group of people who sit and soak and sour in our safe little spaces separated from the world. No, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. (laughs) We are mobile. (laughs) We're mobile. You understand, this is, this is what I pray is always the basis for the decisions that we make as a church. The basis of our decisions is not what makes it easiest for us. I promise you, there are some decisions that we could make as a church that would make it my job way easier. But that's not the basis of our decisions. It can't be. The basis of our decisions cannot be to protect what we have. Right When we start going, thank you God for what you've done now, let's set up our kingdom so that we, do, we make sure we protect what's been built. That cannot be the basis of our decision. It's not ours, it's his. The, the basis of our decisions cannot be even what makes the most people happy. It, it cannot be even what gathers the biggest crowd. The basis of our decision is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are mobile. He's called us to be mobile. This is our hope. This is our purpose. This is our joy. This is the greatest truth in the world. This is the greatest mission in the world. You are empowered by the Spirit of God to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You are mobile. So... I want us to sing that song again. Actually, you guys didn't sing it. They sang it. This time, I want us to sing it, at least to start learning it. This is too good not to believe. When we get into Acts, we get into a wrestling match with seeing the Spirit of God do some things that we can't explain and we certainly can't control. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. There are some people, even in my life, and I bet there are some people in your life that I love them, but they make me really nervous when they come around me because they start making me feel guilty if I'm not getting God to do the miracles in my life that they think God can do. In other words, they start telling me if you just, if you, if you, if you'll pray harder, right? If you'll worship louder, if you'll do more stuff, Jeff, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll give this more effort, then you should see God do miracles. They make me nervous because I think they're wrong, biblically. You don't manipulate God to do miracles. But here's where I'm admitting to you because of that stuff, and sometimes it makes me so angry because I see other people in our body guilted because they're hurting and because God's not performing some miracle in a moment that must be something wrong with your faith that's garbage but because I experience some of that in my life you know what sometimes my tendency is I go way over here and I'm admitting to you sometimes 
I don't believe near enough in the power of God to do the miraculous sometimes. And God needs to change that in me. And maybe in you. So we'll learn more about how God operates. We'll ask him to give us wisdom about how miracles fit with all that. But how about we just start here today? Do you believe in a God who is all-powerful? And today, will you call out to him in your need? Because he still heals. There are moments that he does. I can't explain to you why he does in some moments he doesn't, but he still does. We call out to him. He restores families. Still does. He brings prodigals home. Still does. Will the church, will the church believe? So while we sing, I want to invite you. Maybe you need to pray with some people. Somebody you trust here. Hey, just say, hey, I need, I need to pray about this in my life. Will you help me to believe and to know what God wants me to do? We'll be over here. If you need some prayer from us, we'll be glad to do that. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you to do something with what God says. I love you guys, and I thank you for listening today. Let's be his church.